Hello and welcome in to the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. I am joined again by Kevin Flaherty. We're kind of wrapping up here part two of this two-part kind of post-spring podcast series, episodes. I don't know what to call it. We're doing a Q&A though. We've got a ton of questions from KU fans from the Fog.net gridiron board, from Twitter, and also our direct messages. Um, I, let's start here, Kevin. Let's go basketball. Do you know where Hunter Dickinson is going? <laughs> if you are watching the video, then you can see that my little tag says, I do not know where Hunter Dickinson is uh, is going. Uh, now, it, it was kind of funny. That was uh, that was on his podcast, right, that he, mm-hmm. he put, I don't know where I'm going. So uh, Hunter Dickinson having fun with the, uh, with the masses at this point. It's great. And I forgot, of course, this is also an audio audience. <laughs> So sorry for you listening on the podcast platform, but Kevin, I mean, let's dive right into this. We got a lot to get to. Um, let's start here because I think it's an interesting question. This comes from Pixel Hawk on Twitter. Will any non-transfer recruit from the current staff make an impact this year? I high school recruits from 2022 or 2023. Kevin, do you? have an idea off the top of your head. If not, I can give you one right off the bat. No, I think there are a few that, that kind of stand out, but not maybe in a traditional sense in that, you know, I, I think that most of the time when you, when you think about these guys, you're, you're thinking somebody that's going to make like a major impact. And I don't know that there's one of those out there. I think Brian Dilworth maybe has a chance to to join that defensive back group, you know, whether you're talking about as a, as a fourth or a fifth guy. And, and I think he'll probably play some special teams. I think, you know, Mason Ellis has a chance to maybe play some on special teams. I don't see him breaking through onto the two deep. In this class, a guy that I think is interesting, we've talked about this before, with the injuries in Kansas's running back room and everything that they've had and the different things that they like to do, I could see Johnny Thompson, you know, kind of popping up here and there, maybe getting, you know, because he, he's a little bit different type of back. He's got some home run speed to him. And, and so I, I could see him getting, you know, sort of the odd touch here and there. What, uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think you really nailed the first two. Um, I think Brian Dilworth is a guy that will play a lot on special teams. That's something that Jordan Peterson said, you know, he he has to be a special teams guy has to right? that. He needs to be playing on special teams. I think that's where you'll see him make an impact. Maybe his rotational corner he'll play. Um, I think Mason Ellis with his speed, maybe it's a special teams guy as well. Um, With Johnny Thompson, I I, I kind of agree, but I wonder about the size, right? I saw him, he was at one of KU spring practices. I think maybe the last one they had on that Thursday. Um, he's small. He's yeah. small. You know, yeah. he's listed at 5'10. It's probably 5'10, but he's 185, 190 pounds. Like, that's the one thing you wonder about is hey, can this guy take the hits? And if he arrives in June and takes some strides and is able to say by mid October, you know, be closer to 195, 200, then yeah, I could see him maybe playing a little bit, but it's just hard to pick. Um, I think maybe like a Jaden Ham, I look at him if. He ends up coming along, you know, being an early enrollee helps you so much. Sure. I look at the other early enrollees, right? The closer to the line of scrimmage you get, the harder it is to play early. And I don't think Calvin Clements should play as a freshman. 
Um, I don't think Tony Terry is going to play as a freshman. And I don't even know if Siraz Buncombe is going to be a guy that maybe plays much as a freshman. Um, but I look at Jaden Ham being one that maybe if if the tight end room gets banged up or if you know Trevor Cardell uh, gets banged up or I don't know, if something like that happens, maybe he's someone that gets some snaps. But I think KU's in a spot now where I think fans just kind of got to play the the two-year game, right? Let the guys be in the program for two years and then let them kind of work their way in where maybe they're, you know, a red shirt freshman or a red shirt sophomore when they really start to make an impact. Um, and that's healthy, but I, I just think it's probably tough to get the Leipold high school signees on the field this early. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. You know, yeah. you and I have talked about it in the past where if freshman year OJ Burroughs were to show up on campus tomorrow, okay, you wouldn't need him to play. And, you know, that's a much better situation to be in than what O.J. Burroughs came into as a freshman. And so I think, you know, that's a positive development. I also think that the staff realizes that. And so Mm -hmm. I think that they've taken some guys that, you know, have some developmental potential that they can say, hey, maybe this guy isn't ready to play right away, but you throw him in the weight room for two or three years and, and he's somebody that, you know, can give us some major returns. And, and I think that, uh, I think that they recruit that way. And so mm-hmm. maybe they do go after a guy who's a little bit more uh, of a project on the recruiting trail, but I, I think that's with intention. And, and I think that it's a good place to be in. Yeah. I think traits, right. Are obviously I think a big thing that they look for and being able to hone those traits and get comfortable with this scheme is big too. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of staff, I thought this was a great question from uh, Jball09 on the message board. Um, we're gonna skip past the tight end room question. Um, just I think it's you know I, I'm more fascinated down here. Um, he asks or they ask when Les Miles was head coach, we were under the impression he and Jeff Long worked to build out the analyst room and support staff. Has that continued with Lance Leipold and Travis Goff? Any insight into the number of staffers or key benefit areas of focus? I mean, Kevin, like, you know, you've been around the program longer than I have. Um, how have you seen this change over the last few years? Because I have my own opinion over the last 18 months. But for you, how have you seen the support staff grow maybe since David Beatty was hired? Yeah, I, I think, you know, when Les Miles was hired, you know, something that I said to a friend of mine was I, I didn't know how he could fail. And it wasn't necessarily that he couldn't fail as a coach or anything like that, but just that where they were kind of coming from. And I felt very similarly with David Beatty, you know, David Beatty inherited 38 or 42 scholarship players. You know, I mean, when, when that happens, it's, it's awfully tough to win games. When Les Miles came in, the scholarship situation was in a little bit better place, you know, than, than what Beatty inherited still wasn't, you know, a full complement of players. But the main thing that I think they noticed was Kansas was woefully low on support staffers, their recruiting office, you know, different things like that. And so they really worked to, to kind of build that group up to add a lot of people. And I think, you see the benefit of that with Leipold staff. I do think that's carried over, I guess, to answer the question. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at, at guys like Greg Schwarzkopf and like what he does in terms of scouting, when you look at, at Scott Oligo and, and his job, not necessarily, you know, scouting high school guys as much, 
I feel like a lot of the success that Kansas has had in the transfer portal, you know, is because that's kind of what Aligo's specialty is and, and what he's done really, really well. And so, and, and then you look at a, a guy like Rob Ionello almost serving, you know, as a, as a general manager, if you will, to, to kind of hone in on a, on a lot of different things. It, and, you know, you see the social media content, you see, you know, recruits getting stuff on their birthdays. You see, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the things that maybe don't get noticed, but wind up going a long way. Right. You know, mm -hmm. the, the graphics that you and I see on Twitter all the time and, and things like that. So I do think they've continued to build out that group. You know, I, I think Les Miles probably had a bigger impact in terms of the number like rising, but I also feel like the Leipold staff and, and what they've done uh, over the last few years, uh, I think that a lot of it, you can see the talent that they have in mm -hmm. that room. I, I feel like it is really, really strong. Another yeah. thing that, that Miles did um, was they brought in some player development people for off field stuff like Edward Jones was was a really big hire in that regard and, and I think when you see the KU football players you know cooking you know they they show the videos of that stuff when you see the the charity work that they do the development that they do you know as you know the the students and the student athlete part of it I feel like that part has been buffed up pretty significantly over mm -hmm. the last 10 years as well yeah so I just pulled up the the staff directory um 27 people that are mm -hmm. off field whether it be analysts um you know director of player personnel things like that and i'm looking here at the list right you know matt lubick uh came from nebraska right has experience as an on-field position coach uh mark de leon worked for the chiefs um you've got oscar rodriguez who worked all over the country and has a lot of ties in kansas um there are four graduate assistants in addition to someone like Sean Schneider you have on staff now. So this has really been built out and that's before you get into kind of the Matt Gildersleeve area where the strength coaches, Stacy Potter, because they are technically yeah. like, they don't work. They, let's explain this right. They work for kind of the Kansas health system. They don't work for Kansas athletics. And so it's a little bit different. So that's why they're not on like this staff directory. But yeah, there are a lot. And I think you just look at the recruiting department, right? What wasn't it in Miles to go, right? When last yeah. Miles comes in and is like, so like, where's the recruiting department? They're like, oh, well, we've got two student interns. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. and now you've got, right, Greg Schwarzkopf, Scott Leo, Rob Anello, um, Grant Murray works in that department too. Yeah. Sure. Those are kind of the, the core four, I would say, of that recruiting department. And now they've got, a whole staff of student interns. Like if you go to a football game and you look on the sideline, you see all the recruits look behind them and see how many student interns they have working now. It's a lot. And so I think they've built it out a lot and they've really continued to do that. And I think it speaks to the financial resources being put there where people that have been on field position coaches elsewhere feel like they can come to Kansas and make decent money and work for a good staff and be in a place where they can have success and maybe in two years, go get a, go get back on the field. So I think overall it's been really positive. Um, all right, let's get to this next one. Here we go. Um, this one comes from Bill Self Goat on the message board. Um, one of our frequent posters. 
I want to go here. Um, a breakout player here. Who would you pick for a breakout player? One offense, one defense. Go. Ooh. Um, offense, offense is tough. I, I feel like the easy choice, I'll maybe go with Logan Brown. Just because I, I feel like he's he's got a pretty good chance to to win a starting job there, and I and I think even beyond that, I I think he's got ability. I think there's a real chance that that we look back, you know, later at some point this season and say that he's been you know one of the highlights of the offensive line. Um, defensively, so this is he's not a breakout player per se, but. I think Craig Young's going to be an all big 12 guy. Like after, after what we saw from him last year, like you said, we kind of saw the, like you said on the podcast in the past, I guess I should say, we saw Craig Young kind of come along slowly a mm -hmm. little bit. And then by the end of the year, you know, he was doing some really good things and, and everything else. I, I think there's still another level that, that he can get to. I think you saw that, at different times, he was KU's best coverage linebacker, and he did some really great things blitzing and doing some different things. I just feel like he's a guy that's going to put it all together this year. And so mm -hmm. not necessarily break out in terms of what you think in terms of this guy didn't play a whole lot, and now he's going to play a whole lot, but somebody that I feel like is possibly going to really break out in a major way in terms of taking that step forward. Yeah, I think defensively I'll go with Tommy Dunn. Um, yeah. I think he's going to have a really good season and again, breakout. Like I think he's going to have a really good season and it still won't be the best he'll play at Kansas. Offensively, it's hard, right? Cause I think they return so much. I think you have to go offensive line. I think I'm going to say Kobe Baines just cause I just think he's going to start. I yeah. think he is. And so, um, yeah, those are my two there. I think this is a really good question here um, from Max Rebo. I really hope I pronounced your last name, right? My apologies if I didn't, um, I think we know the offense will be good. Do we think the defense will be good enough to have KU as an eight or nine win team? Hmm. Do you want this one first? Or? Sure. No, it won't. Um, it won't. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I think it'll be good enough for, I think eight wins is probably in terms of regular season, probably the ceiling. And that's if everything goes right. That's if KU gets another defensive end, everyone stays healthy. If Kenny Logan can get back to where he was two seasons ago and not last season, if Brian Borland, I think generally can improve um, maybe some of the play calling and the timing of things. Um, I think eight wins is the ceiling. I just don't know. Um, now, granted the schedule could play out nicely, but I just going in right now, I think I still have some concern. Even if I think the defense will be better than it was last year, good enough to win eight games. I just, I don't know. So here's where I struggle with this a little bit. You know, I, I feel like KU could have won eight games last year had Jalen Daniels stayed healthy and the defense was not very good at all. And I, I don't think, I don't necessarily think that KU is going to get to eight. I think I would say, I think I'm a little more optimistic than you. Don't you think six and six again? I think so. Yeah. And I'm seven and five. So just slightly more. Um, and so 
I think the defense is probably going to be better than it was last year. Problem is, I think the schedule is going to be tougher. And so I think that there's a very real chance that Kansas could be a better team this year and finish with about the same record as what they were. And so I I guess the, the easy way to say it is, you know, the, the defense, (coughs) if Jalen Daniels is healthy for the whole year and Kansas has that, that top 10 offense again, the defense might not have to be great. Mm -hmm. I still wonder if the defense is going to be good enough. I I don't know that. I don't know that it'll quite get there. Yeah, I agree. Um, this is going to build on maybe the one we had a minute ago, but this was DM to me, and I don't know if the person wanted to be named, so I'm not including it. But this person asks, um, can you paint a picture of just how different the football program is today compared to five years ago? Um, take a step further, how these differences benefit KU in the future? So I'll start here, Kevin. Um, I think it's a lot different, right? And I think I've made the joke before that it's just competence, right? This coaching staffs know they know what they're doing and they've got a plan and they're sticking to that plan. I think past coaches, you know, David Beatty, Charlie Weiss, got caught in kind of a no man's land where they needed to save their job. So they made moves to save their job that kind of compromised the future. Well, Lance Leibold has the stability now from Travis Goff down that they can stick to a plan. And I think the recruiting you see right now is with that in mind, where they've done a good job of revamping the roster. Offensive line room is the best it's ever been. The cornerbacks room, right? Think about what ha- what it looked like when they showed up and what it looks like now, right? You've got a former top 100 recruit in Demarius McGee who might not even start, right? Kalen Gervin started at Michigan State, and he doesn't really start. So you look at these position groups they've been able to revamp, right? That's positive. But now you've got players like Brian Dilworth coming through in the defensive backs room. You look at the offensive line, Calvin Clements, um, you know, James Livingston, Joe Baker, guys that are young now that have time to develop. And so I think just the competence of having a plan, sticking to it, not wavering from it, is allowing this program to head in a direction where it can be sustainable. Or maybe KU doesn't have to go out and get 15 transfers. Or maybe it's now you pick your spots, right? You go four, five, six a year. And so I think overall you see just top to bottom this plane being unfolded and maybe there's going to be a bad year, right? Maybe injuries hamper KU here and there. But I think just the sustainability of this program is in such a better spot than it was five years ago. Yeah, I mean, you you look at the 2020 season, you know, the, the COVID-shortened season, and not only does Kansas go 0-9, Kansas is barely competitive in any of those games. And then you have a coaching search at at a weird time because of the way things played out. And I've said this before. I don't know if you can give Travis Goff enough credit for how that search was handled. I mean, Mm. the two finalists wind up being Munkin and Army and Lance Leipold. Willie Fritz was interested in the job. There were other power five, current power five head coaches, guys who are now head coaches, who are interested in the job. Like, I, I really think that it came down to, you know, some really high-level candidates and everything else. And I thought that was hiring of golf, the way that search was run, was sort of the first indicator that the stability w- was going in, in the right direction. You, mm-hmm. know? 
you wind up, you know, being sort of undermanned. We've talked about this on the podcast before, but, you know, the Leipold staff, because they didn't get a spring, they were still installing stuff (laughs) midway through their first season. Uh, And, and, you know, you wind up going to Texas and and beating Texas and, and, you know, being able to parlay that into some momentum. And and I guess the, the next thing I would say, you know, you've talked about the roster quality and, and depth and things like that. The other thing that I would say is Michael, it's changed in a year from a recruiting standpoint. Because last year there was, you know, the 2023 class was maybe the best in-state class of Kansas talent that I've ever seen. And mm-hmm. I've probably been doing this since 03, 04-ish, where I've actually paid attention to in-state. I know, I know. <laughs> Do you want to know what great? I was just... if you if you can't, if you're not watching the video, Swain is definitely giving his, you know, Kevin is really old face, you know, on there. But it was a really good class. And one of the elite guys in the class had a parent tell us, you know, flat out, if we stay in state, we know where the in-state school is to send him to. Basically saying that it's K-State. There was no other option to send him in state. It was K-State or nothing, right? Or out of state. Mm -hmm. And to look at, to talk to guys in this 2024 class, Swain, we've obviously talked to people in the 2025 class as well. Kansas is a legitimate option for these guys. Like, and you don't hear the comments of, oh my gosh, like I would just never go to Kansas. It's a train wreck or, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's whatever else. And so I think you start to see it, that buzz on the recruiting trail as well. And certainly you look at the guys Kansas has committed already in 2024, you know, Kansas is, is striking the iron pretty hot right now in recruiting as well. And I think that's another indicator of the stability and, and the way all of that's going. Yeah, I'll hit on the 2024 class and the question we have in a second. Um, sure. I want to move to this because I've really – I did some research on this one. Um, if healthy – this comes from Top Notch on Twitter. If healthy, can Jalen Daniels get to 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns? Kevin, do you want to answer this? Or do you want me to go through my research first and then have you answer? I'll answer, and then you can give your yeah. research, and oh, you can yeah. be like, well, Kevin, you are absolutely wrong, and here's why. Okay, let's do it. No and yes. I do mm-hmm. not think that Jalen will hit 4,000 total yards. I do think that if he's healthy, he can get those 30 touchdowns, though, especially if you're talking about 30 combined touchdowns. You know, it's uh, – I think that's in play. I think it's – it's so tough to get to that 4,000 total yards. I don't know. Did Todd Reesing maybe do it once? I, I mean, it, it, that's how tough it is to to hit the the 4,000 total yards. I, I'm going to have to look this up now. But yeah, so but yeah, that's the that's the tougher part. I feel like you know, in, in terms of um, in terms of what it is. Yeah, Todd. Todd Reesing hit it his junior year, which is what I thought, and did not hit it his sophomore year, which is when KU went to the Orange Bowl, and he didn't hit it his senior year either. But his his junior year, he just barely, you know, got got across the finish line there. Now, Todd Reesing had, 
30 plus touchdowns twice and in his other years a starter had 28 touchdowns so yeah i i think the 30 plus touchdowns i feel like that's more in play but i don't think the 4000 yards is is going to happen yeah i agree so here we go kevin so All right. 4000 passing yards eight players did it last year eight yep the year prior in 2021 nine players did it Yep. Going to do 30 passing touchdowns. And now I'm assuming it's passing touchdowns because 30 total touchdowns, I'd say, yeah. Like what I would sure. I would guess that it's total total because he says four thousand total yards. So oh, I guess the 30 oh, plus touchdowns. I wasn't even thinking about rushing yards in there. I'm gonna I'm acting like this is passing. Cause so, cause like because like Reesing never hit four thousand passing yards. Oh, totally. but his junior year, he threw oh. for like 38 some and ran for like 200 some, you know, Kevin, my reading comprehension needs work. Um, so I was thinking this is just passing. So a total, I maybe honestly could be sure how much you ran the ball, but let's yep. just say Jalen in terms of passing. Um, and maybe this will inform the overall decision. So last year, the first four games of the season, he was on pace for just shy of 3,000 passing yards. Um, and he was averaging about, you know, two and a half, 2.25 touchdowns, passing touchdowns per game, um, which is on pace for 35. So I think 40, 30 total touchdowns, easy. I think 30 passing touchdowns he can do easily. The total number is fascinating here, Kevin, because if you were to say that Jalen Daniels averages 250 passing yards per game next year, he will be at about 3,250 if you encounter KU making a bowl game. Okay. Yep. So then he would need 750 yards per game, um, which comes out to 658 rushing yards a game. I think it's reasonable. I think 4,000 combined, I think you could do it. Um, 4,000 passing, no, but I think 4,000 combined yards, I think he probably could. 60 yards, 60 yards a game on the ground, right? That's still a lot. Is it? I, I, I feel like that's I got to look up lot. what he was running last year. Hold on a second here. All this right. Is great, All this right. is a great podcast hey. for people listening. Other really people want to hear other questions, but Swain's got to get into this one. Yeah, well, because, you know, again, my reading comprehension needs work. I mean, my grade school teachers would have told you that. Um, so – Rushing yards, eh, eh, yeah, 60 per game. Oof, yeah, that's actually hard. Yeah, It'd be tough. You might be able to do it. All right, let's move on. <laughs> All right, next question um, from Jayhawk402. Um, let's start here at the top. Most important positions for the 2024 recruiting class. Kansas already has a quarterback committed in Isaiah Marshall. They already have a cornerback committed in Andre Gibson running back committed in Red Martell, and then as of last week, a tight end committed in Carson Brunt. KU will not recruit any more quarterbacks. KU will not recruit any more tight ends. Um, and maybe running back. Who knows? We'll see. Um, I'll let you go from there. What positions do you think are the most important going forward? Well, the most important position was quarterback before mm -hmm. they got Isaiah Marshall, yeah. I think. And I think the other one that, that kind of jumps out to me when you look at the roster is – where are the young linebackers? And, mm -hmm. and so I think that that's, that's kind of the position that I circle and say, hey, that's that's something they need to continue to work on. You know, obviously you'd like to see some good edges in this class, 
somewhere. You know, if you could get a guy who's, you know, legitimately six five, rangy, you know, they don't really have a lot of those guys in the program right now. And so the, those are kind of the positions that that jump mm-hmm. out to me. Like I said, I, I feel like quarterback was the most important position. And that's why it was so important that they went out and got their guy and make no mistake. Uh, as I think Swain would, would agree with me here, Isaiah Marshall is their guy. Like this is the guy they targeted. Yep. They recruited him a really long time. They really like him. You know, I, I think that, uh, I, I think that's the the big one. What do you think for most important position? Yeah. I think linebacker and then offensive line. Um, yeah. I think he's got to continue to build. I think you got a, two good tackle prospects in James Livingston and Calvin Clements, but I think there's more interior guys. I look at it and I say guard, you know, where are the young guards, right? DK Stearns um, is young, but just not a name you hear a lot about. So I think young guards is big and then linebacker, I think defensively. I want to hit on this one real quick. Um, the Kansas City guys, uh, I don't think Kansas is going to get any of them. Uh, you look at David Dossett from Lee Summit, um, probably Kansas State if I had to guess, um, considering the connection uh, they have at Lee Summit. Uh, Jaden Riddell gonna leave the region if i had to guess he's already got alabama offers um obviously sprague is going to michigan melvin lassiter from liberty north i don't think KU's really in that one jay sean ross was awesome at the uc report camp i don't think KU's really like i just think the kansas city guys this cycle it's just not gonna happen um i think Caden massey is probably the the in-state guy that KU fans need to know um and then obviously bj kennedy we'll see how things go there yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. I, I think Kennedy's so intriguing because it, it's somewhat similar to Dominique Orange in that mm. Orange got like all these big offers and everything, yeah. and then kind of faded off for a little while. And but at the same time, you take that guy right because you say somewhere in there is the player that encouraged Georgia and Ohio State and whoever to offer. Yep, and Iowa State was able to tap into that guy and, and get the good Dom orange a little bit. And, yeah. you know, with Kennedy, it's not necessarily that, you know, he got lazy or anything like that. He was just hurt. And so mm-hmm. you look at a guy that was picking up some major offers and everything before the injury, you, you take a guy like BJ Kennedy and, and think, Hey, this guy's got the potential. You know, if we, if we build him up to, to develop him into something, Caden Massey, I mean, I, I've been a fan of that kids for a while and, I, I thought he did better, way better than I thought he would at UC Report. I mean, if we're being 100% truthful and honest, I, I thought he was going to get his lunch eaten. And it wasn't necessarily because I don't think he's very good. It was because, you know, I feel like he was fairly raw, you know, doesn't play against the highest level of competition in Linden. All of a sudden you're going up against, you know, Williams Juan Airy, you're going up against, you know, Jay Sean Ross and, and all these other guys you know, who were really high level dudes. There was a, a guy there who, you know, had an Alabama offer as well. You know, there were some big time defensive mm-hmm. line there. And so I expected that Caden would struggle. I thought he fared a lot better than, than what I would have thought. And he won his fair share of reps, even against yeah. that competition. And so here, Kevin, you mentioned the defensive end spot too. Um, here's a scoop for people on the podcast. Um, Deshaun Warner from Desert Edge cousin of Andre Gibson, who's KU has committed, um, 6'4", about 210 pounds. Kevin, get this. He started doing triple jump six weeks ago. He's already qualified for the state meet. 
Sounds like sounds like the right type of kid. Yeah, sounds like a good athlete. So he's going to take an official to Kansas, um, likely the second week of June. He's got another one scheduled to Oregon the first weekend of June. So that's a name to watch. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, let's do. Let's see. Da, 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 da. Oh, let's go into the quarterback situation going forward. This is a popular question. I think we got this one comes from Dylan Lear. What does the situation at quarterback look like going forward after this year, assuming Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean leave, will we look at getting someone in the portal? So I can't pull up the quarterback room right now, but basically if Jalen Daniels leaves next year, you're looking at Isaiah Marshall and Ben Easters being your two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. What would you see Kansas doing in that case, Kevin? I think you have to go get somebody in the portal. And, and I think that that's, that's kind of, that's one of the reasons why I should say, you know, people were asking me on Twitter, you know, why is Ethan Vasco leaving a big deal? And, and I think you would have liked a guy who had been in your program for a few years, who had run the offense, all those different things to be Isaiah Marshall's primary competition mm-hmm. for that spot, rather than having him face off against another newcomer. But it's it's easier said than done, Swain. I mean, as you as you know, we were talking about offensive line a couple classes ago, defensive end, you know, in this class, everybody wants an experienced plug and play starting quarterback. I mean, that's that's the dream when you can go out and get Caleb Williams, you know, or or somebody like that. And I'm not saying Kansas would get Caleb Williams, but I am saying the competition level for those guys is really, really high. And you know, and so it, it's going to be tough, I think, for Kansas to pull in that guy. But I also think that's sort of the necessary next step is, you know, you have to put somebody there that's got a legitimate chance to win the starting job. Yep. I think regardless if Jalen Daniels stays or leaves, KU has to get a, a portal quarterback. Yep. And I think the level of quarterback will change depending on what happens to Jalen. Um, and here's why. If Jalen Daniels leaves after this next year, it means he had a really good year. And that's really good for recruiting purposes. If you can point to Jalen Daniels saying, hey, this guy left. He had another year and he left because he was so stinking good. And you can also point to that offensive line room and say, guess what? Everyone but Mike Nowitzki can be back. And look at the running back room. Everyone can be back. Look at the wide receiver room. Everyone can be back. Really, Kevin, the only guys KU is going to lose offensively after this year are, I believe it's Dominic Pooney, yep. um, Jason Bean, Dylan McDuffie, Nowitzki, face Mason Fairchild. So you're basically going to lose, what, you know, five players from offense? That's yep. it. Like, what quarterback would not want to go play in this offense with all this returning production who's been there and come in and obviously K doesn't guarantee spots, but have a dang good spot? chance of being the starter right and go and put up huge numbers so i think k would be in an advantageous position to add a transfer if jalen daniels leaves k is not going to play isaiah marshall as a true freshman that's not going to happen and it's bad if he does you yep. saw what happened to jalen daniels when he was a true freshman obviously that offensive line was atrocious but he looked lost because he was 18 17 like isaiah marshall could be great and even if he enrolls early he could impress a lot of people but no you don't want that player playing as a true freshman. So I think regardless, I think KU will go get a, a portal quarterback. If Jalen Daniels returns, maybe it's a kind of like what you saw happen with Les Miles when they got Manny Miles, just a guy that's kind of been around 
um, and can be a backup, maybe wants to get a graduate degree, something like that. Um, and if Daniels leaves, I think you can go go big game hunting, and that'll be a real big test for the collective too. If KU can pony up, and obviously you can't promise things, but if they can show that, hey, Jalen got compensated well for what he did, and this year Jalen makes a good amount of money, like you can show another quarterback that and say, hey, this is what Jalen made. We can't guarantee you anything, but this is what our star quarterback just made. Just so you know, you know, yeah, I, so think, I think it's a good position to be in. Yeah, I think if you're looking at um, if you're looking at types or whatever, just real quick, you know, mm-hmm. look at Nebraska bringing Casey Thompson. You know, you look at Iowa bringing Cade McNamara. You know, guys that that have some ability but wound up, you know, kind of on the wrong side of quarterback battles. You know, somebody like that might be might be a really good option. Yep, I agree. Um, let's do this one. Only a couple more, Kevin. I know you have to go. Um, let's do let's do this one. Um, which freshman newcomer can we expect the biggest things from? Um, can't pick offensive line. I'm making that a rule now. <laughs> um, outside of offensive line, what freshman or transfer do you think is going to make the most impact? Yeah, I I think it's going to be Devin Phillips. Uh, I really do. I, I think he's somebody that has, you know, it, it's one of those things where you need to have talent and you also need to have a route to, to playing time or production. And I think Devin Phillips has, has both of those. I think he's really good. I think he fits a role that Kansas really needs him to fit. And so I think he's going to plug right into a, to a starting defensive tackle spot. And I, you know, I think he's got a chance to be pretty solid there. Yep. I think JB Brown is going to be my guy that I'll pick for this. Um, I think just linebacker wise, he fits what they look for and they're not going to play three guys, 70 snaps. That's the last thing they want to do. So he's going to get opportunities. And I think he'll definitely flash Um, offensive transfer. Kevin, I think, you know, we talked about scholarships um, in the previous podcast, but KU, Probably is going to have one, maybe two. Hard to really know for sure right now until the portal window closes. Um, ooh, oh, ooh. Um, and if in terms of like offensive transfers, would you see K going after one? I'm teeing this up for you. I, I, I think that there is a type, you know, and we've talked about this before on this podcast. I think if Kansas goes after an offensive player, it's going to be after – they go after a defensive end, I think, and potentially even after maybe they go after another defender. So it's not on the very top list. And when you're bringing back a, a top 10 type offense and you're number one in the country and returning offensive production, you don't necessarily have a lot of holes. But I think the one spot that they're looking at um, and would be wise to look at is – you know, a yard after catch guy or, you know, or a run after catch guy. Um, I, I tweeted about AJ Henning from Michigan, you know, who is a guy that, that averaged, uh, I think 18 yards of carry or something like that as a, as a sophomore on jet sweeps and, and things like that. And, you know, he was also Michigan's return guy. And if you watch his high school tape, a lot of it is him catching the ball, making a guy miss, and then just zooming down the field. It's sort of the one thing that, that Kansas is missing, you know, the ability yeah. to run a safe play but get a chunk play out of it. And so uh, I think that that's sort of the archetype is sort of that 
AJ Henning type guy. Um, if that guy winds up popping and if Kansas winds up having that extra scholarship to spend on offense. Yep. I agree. I think it's in one position they would go after offensively. Um, and last one here, Kevin, this is a question I get all the time. Um, from some of my direct messages, do you think recruits are being shown stadium renderings on their visits? I feel like they bring up new facilities in nearly every interview, but are they being shown anything outside of already released projects? Um, short answer, it's more or less what you've already seen. I think what they can do is maybe show a little bit. I just don't think they're really renderings at this point either. I think they have an idea of what it's going to be. But I think they can show them. I think maybe the Lawrence Journal World put out a photo of the projected what the entire, what is it, Mississippi, Tentamis, whatever the name of the the whole project is. Um, they've shown them the layout of what it's going to look like in the future, and they've shown them the renderings of the locker room and everything. And what they really use is that dollar amount, right? You hear over three hundred million dollars, and that sounds like a lot because it is a lot of money. And I think they use that to their advantage on the recruiting trail. And I think you see a lot of recruits. They say that because I think they understand the commitment to football. And, you know, Bodie McCaslin is a, is a recruit from Illinois who I talked to, who was at a game uh, in the fall, talked about liking the stadium, but thought it, you know, maybe wasn't the most impressive one that he saw. I mean, this is a guy that had been all over the Midwest seeing stadiums, but what he loved on the visit was that the coaches kind of said, hey, like the stadium you saw, when you get here, it's going to be different. And so it's one of these things where I think they're telling kids, hey, the stadium you're going to play in by the time you're a junior, senior, um, whatever, upperclassman, is going to be different than what you saw during your game day visit. I think that's really enticing for recruits because they know that what they're getting is better than what's being given to players right now. Yeah, and I, and I think even, you know, even beyond that, when, when we say give in to players and stuff like that, sometimes coaches will accidentally, in quotation marks, you know, leave a rendering open on their desk or, you know, up on the wall or whatever and just be like, oh, hey, yeah, this is, you know, this is what we were just talking about with the, the 10th and Mississippi project or whatever. And so, and so they they do paint a picture. And, you know, and a lot of times that that picture does already come with, with visuals, even if it's a rough draft or, you know, something where somebody just says, Hey, this could be it. And, and they say, Oh, it's nothing final, but look at all the things we can do in this area or whatever mm -hmm. else. I guess the best way to put it is they're making sure wouldn't you say Swain that every recruit knows about this. Yeah. And they all know it's coming and, and everything else. And so they're, uh, I'm not sure they're being shown, I guess, proprietary information or anything like that. But at the same time, they're they're doing a good job of making sure that they have that selling point nailed down. Exactly. Well, everyone, thanks for asking all the questions. This was fun to do. I'm sure we'll do it again um, later in the summer as things kind of heat up and we'll probably do some recruiting focused ones as, you know, high school recruiting is going to be pretty big this summer, I feel like. So, um Thanks always, Kevin, for joining us, and we will talk to you again soon. And for those watching on YouTube, I'm going to do my spiel here. For those watching on YouTube, make sure you head over to your podcast platform of choice. Subscribe to the Fog.net podcast. If you are listening to this on your podcast platform of choice, head over to our YouTube channel, uh, The Fog Kansas Basketball and Football Coverage. Yes, that's the name of it. Um, 
and check out all the YouTube videos we do. This podcast is up on YouTube. We do exclusive content for YouTube as well. Kevin, thanks a bunch, and we will do this again soon.